listening to the Guitar Heroes podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Jazz Hour. <laughs> jazz well, is the name. I'm jazz so is sorry. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's listening have just pulled their headphones out or just. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I can hear my neighbours banging on the wall. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? <laughs> right. Who, uh, first doing thing great. first, Hello, who's Phil. got their guitar on? Because I can just hear hiss. Who is it? My bad. My bad. Ah, oh, there we go. There we go. I've got, I got my '80s fuzz fuzz distortion on. <laughs> God, I feel like a little out of breath right now. Knackered. <laughs> Put your pants back on. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And so it begins. Right. Uh, so here we are again, uh, chaps. Here we are again. Uh, yeah, I think today, what are we doing? We're uh, visiting the 80s, Desert Discs. The 80s. Is that what we're calling it? Desert Discs? or uh, it It's was called um, Desert Riffs, isn't it? Desert Riffs, that's it. No, Desert yeah. Island Riffs. Desert so Island Riffs. I tell you what, it's a good job we know what we're doing here, isn't it? I tell you what, <laughs> have, you, have you seen the Rock on Tours with, um, with, uh, with, with Guy Pratt and, um, and, and Gary Kemp? They, they have all sorts of famous people on there. They were voted... Um, on Apple, I think it was the number one best music podcast. Oh, that? Right. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard a couple of episodes. It's it's cool stuff. They they're good. Yeah, I mean they're nowhere near in our league, obviously. Well, <laughs> they can only dream. <laughs> one day, I mean, maybe. listening to that intro, who's going to come close to that? Eh? <laughs> they can you know, only dream of being this bad. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're, we're we're excited for today's episode because we just we had about three minutes before we actually came on air where the three of us were just <laughs> here like yeah just be a minute <laughs> oh <laughs> so yes well, we are here today wearing spandex aren't we um well maybe just we sorry guys i'm so unprepared today i've uh, i haven't long been home to be honest i've been out all day i've, I've been on the guitar safari oh Ooh. do tell do tell new purchases top secret i can't tell you i'm just teasing top you top secret Oh, I, bought, no, I have no. bought another guitar, though. Oh, come on. You can't... I can't no, I can't tell can't you. Okay, give us that. a colour. Just give us a colour or a shape. Uh, Is it star-shaped? definitely guitar-shaped. Um, I can't tell you the colour because that'll just give it away, what I've got. What I've just got. Oh, okay. Yeah. Colour is key, then, yeah? Well, it is to the guitar, yeah. It needs a bit of work doing to it, though. It needs um, it needs a bit of fettling. Oh, does it? But, um, yeah. Nice. But love oh, from Phil, I, eh? I think I know. I do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh dear! I've just re- I've just realised what it is. Should we tell oh, Podcast World? Should we tell them? Should we tell them what I've just got? Well, that's that's up to you, Phil. You got to make that call. I might do. I might do. Yeah, <laughs> you might I, you might regret I, it. I might regret. Drink it. Drink a bit more pour, and then uh, and then uh, it might it might slip out. Well, every, everybody's going to be like, "Why have you got one of them? What do you want one of them for?" Well, I've always mm. wanted one of these. I've just bought um I've just brought a resonator guitar, a dobro. It's really nice. I've n- never had one before in my life and I was like, fancy one of them. And, um, oh, they're lovely guitars. And we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> On with the okay. 80s, you <laughs> stick that somewhere <laughs> where we ain't going to hear it. Were, me- <laughs> were, were many dobros used in the 80s, do you think? Um, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And yeah. that, that's that. Actually, who's that guitar player who was on um, the nineteen? Is it eighty seven Crossroads film? Um, all the slide guitar parts. Rykuda. 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 
He was an 80s guitar player. He actually played a dobro, didn't he? Um, I, I don't know. If he, well, I guess he must have played dobro. I guess most slide players have played dobro at some point, haven't they? Yeah, all the pictures I've seen of him actually with a with the dobro. Okay, uh, great stuff. Yeah, brilliant. so many cool, yeah. so many cool songs, albums. <laughs> so yes, we are wearing spandex, and uh, I've gone and got my hair permed, as you can see. So we're ready for today's feast of 80s goodness. We can see, but we should uh, put your trousers on, Lee. <laughs> today's the one day that I'm allowed them off. You are, yeah, yeah. I've no, gone for no. the mankini instead. <laughs> <laughs> we can see that. Thankfully, podcast people can't. Oh dear. So we're all armed. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, all armed with some sort of Schecter Charvel. Uh, something like that with a Floyd Rose, correct? Oh, oh no! Look, we've we've all just got Fenders because <laughs> <laughs> none of us own anything that's particularly eighties. Actually, well, actually, I, I can see something hanging hanging behind you, Phil. That's quite eighties. Yeah, yeah, I've got. Uh, and you do own a Steve I gem as well. Yeah, I've, there's two things hanging behind me. Oh, oh, actually, and I've got a Prince Cloud guitar. That was really eighties, wasn't it? But um, no, you say eighties, but the st- I mean, I've got my old Strat with me, and the old Strat was was quite an eighties guitar, to be honest, as, especially the seventies ones, because you know in the early eighties, the seventies guitars were newish, weren't they? You know, they were still yeah. out there being played, and and I remember Europe, um, the guitar player from Europe has got exactly the same model as what I've got, the seventies reissue Strat. Um, and if you look at um, Motley Crue, oh, I forgot, how can I forget his name in Motley Crue? What's the guitar player called? Help uh, me, Mick. He was a he was about twenty but years older than the rest of them, wasn't he? What's his, oh, oh, um, cranky! That's really dread. That's dreadful. He he he, he basically plays a old souped up Strat, doesn't he? Do you know what? I've got Google open because I was going to start with. Uh, I've got the nineteen eighties open. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we haven't done that yet. What are we drinking? What are we drinking? By the way, if it sounds like I've got a cold. Uh, don't fret, I haven't got a cold and I haven't got the, the dreaded C word. Uh, my hay fever is just playing up. Just the pollen has kicked in this week and I just, ah, oh, knocked me for sick. But yeah, so what are we drinking? Sorry, what, what did you say about I've got uh, a Whistable Bay here. Oh, well, snap, Chris. I had a lovely, a wonderful <laughs> delivery from a, from a good friend of mine, popped around earlier and brought me some Whistable Bay. So <laughs> It's good, isn't it? It is really good. <laughs> <laughs> lovely. Yeah, it's very nice, especially when it's cold. It's a pale ale. Mm. Trying to think. I don't know whereabouts. I should look actually look to where this is from. Some more interesting facts following my uh, conversation on bees last episode. Uh, Sorry, guys. I'm not interested. I've just spilt my pot. I was just saying, what is Phil doing? I've just seen him get <sighs> what looks to be like a pack of wet wipes out. Oh, no. I took you some <laughs> tissues. I love the description of this, Lee. Handy pack of tissues. Wistable combines old seaside charm. With a modern bohemian vibe. Mm. That sounds cool. You would just buy it just along on those words alone, wouldn't you? Mm. Uh, Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Where right. is Wistable Bay? Can anyone message in and tell us where Wistable Bay is? <laughs> You've got Google open, haven't you? <laughs> message in? Yeah, I was going to Google. Uh, I was going to... Who are we? Oh, Motley Crue. I think we've got to have some listeners before people message in. Mm, there is that. Uh, yeah. There is that. Mick Mars. Of course it's Mick Mars. Mick, I knew it was Mick something. Mick yeah. Mars. Right. Yeah. So I've got I've got Wikipedia open here. Um on the yeah. on the page the page for the nineteen eighties. So I thought we'd just delve into like we've done in the other years, uh, other decades. Mm. Avid listeners of the podcast will be familiar with this format now. We essentially delve into a decade and bring forth our favourite guitar players, songs albums, anything that we feel represents our personal journey as a guitar player, but also something that affected the wider world. And it's good yeah. to have a bit of context. 
so Absolutely. here we go, Wikipedia. Uh, the hang, hang on, sorry. Do you need do you need your music? Do you need your <laughs> no, music? No, no. Well, I I must admit, I'm not I'm not as prepared. I haven't got notes, hence why I've got that. I'm cheating a little too bit. Too much I've time at the, the publi, isn't page it? I open think. here. Right. Uh, it's it's been a it's been a it's been a busy old week. So uh, we'll start at the top. The eighties redirects here for AD eighty to eighty nine. See eighties. The nineteen eighties pronounced nineteen eighties. Shortened to the eighties. <laughs> Was it? <a> t- <laughs> is this is this too detailed? <laughs> Tell me if I should stop. Uh, I, I've 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 topped to bottom it. I've read through and essentially a lot of stuff happened. Uh, but the takeaway point here. Was that technology? I think in music, this is the this is the era where certainly the computer really started to get involved. Outside this, we've got things going like the first space shuttle being being launched. We've got uh, Reagan being elected as president. You've got the end of the Cold War. Um, also, I should note, nineteen eighty, we kick off with the assassination of John Lennon, and maybe that, oh. yeah. maybe you know. Th- much, much yeah. like also was, that it, was it the seventies episode that started with the disbanding of the Beatles? It seems to be something with something yeah. Beatles happening at the start of a decade, and maybe what it suggests. So, with the tragic assassination of John Lennon, uh, maybe that was a sign of where music was going to go. Because we also um, the computer lost was John here Bonham to stay as well that point. year. We lost John Bonham that year. I'll be oh, I'll be on that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of deaths in the eighties. Actually, actually, to start the era, nineteen eighties specifically. However, musically, it was an awesome era. Well, you know, I was born. I was born in the eighties. I'm awesome. You say that, Chris, I but I, I think mm. of all the decades we've covered, um, I think the eighties. Do you not find that it's definitely it's a marmite era? It seems to have something about it that, like, anything that's associated eighties is either like really great or really pants. Like well, in my mind, quibble. it's the beginning of the end. Oh, it's, it's oh the beginning dear. of the end. The, the eight, eighties. Um, there's a few good things to come out of the eighties. Obviously, Toto. I mean, they're just awesome. Um, I mean, me and Chris fight over the solo and Rosanna for that, don't we? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, there's a lot of good stuff to come out of the eighties. <laughs> a lot of good stuff to come out of the eighties, but it was also the, the beginning of the end. I think, in a lot of ways, the um, the beginning of all those stupid drum sounds yeah. that make Al well, Al gets a little bit of sick in his mouth every time he hears like a sample drum sound or synth drums and that type of thing. And I don't blame mm. him. And it, there's a lot of things like the guitar synth that came out great, but mm. oh, come on, you know that's why we've got keyboard players, isn't it? Um, it was kind of like the uh, commercial era, don't you think? A lot of um, there was obviously a few stories of bands kind of selling out, reforming, and becoming more commercial. And well, you know why that was? That was going to be my next point. One of the big things that obviously happened in the eighties was the introduction of MTV. MTV, of course, and obviously was, yeah. what that did for music, taking it into a visual format, and obviously putting pressure on artists and bands to incorporate that side. And it it really kind of either made or broke some of the classic 60s and 70s, but some people just didn't survive the change, did they? And other bands absolutely took to it like a duck to water mm. and really used mm. it to the to the utmost and, and launched probably the, the strongest part of their career. But it is a bit weird that you've got this hangover of this, gr- you know, some of this great 70s music mm. and then some of those classic bands sort of got swept up in the, the 80s movement with, uh, like you say, drum machines, synthesizers, 
and a few bands kind of went through their like their weird phases like that. Mm. I don't know. Mm. It's uh, it's Marmite. Yeah. I, I've got to be honest. But there, like I said, there's a lot of good stuff to come out of the '80s, um, which we're probably gonna, you guys are gonna talk about. So I've left well alone from the heavy rock stuff because I, I was thinking you guys are just gonna do that anyway. I know you are. Um, well, but Chris is. Uh, yeah, Chris probably will. Yeah, you already but know what I got planned. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, the <laughs> one thing that really burnt my toast in the eighties, right, was <laughs> yes, I've been waiting for it. <laughs> we're, we're, ding, was, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> was all of wait, that? Wait, wait, wait a sec, Phil. Oh, what? What really burnt my toast? <laughs> Just making a note. All oh, right, sorry. Um, yeah, what really burnt wait, my toast finished, in yet? the eighties was all that. What's the date today? Since I don't know, twenty seventh. 27th. 27th. Yeah, 20, 8, 27th 8, of April, 1984. <laughs> 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 um, it, was, it, was all, it was all that synth stuff, you know? I mean, there was so many... I used to watch Top of the Pops, and, and you know, I was, I, was, I was looking for the guitar. I was going, oh, mm. great guitar. And you, you get, like, mm. you get somebody... S- s- you know, this could almost be a rant, but it's a... We, know, we don't do rants on these episodes, do we? But, you know, you, you get two twerps on keyboards... You know, and and somebody in the middle doing a ridiculous dance with a microphone that's got like a lead plugged in that's had, like it's been chopped off. And mm. do you know what I mean? Oh, I, know I just mean. don't like all that sort of stuff. I don't like that sort of stuff. I'm I'm a rock a guitar player. I love I love the rock side of the eighties, but the rest of it can go can go down the plug hole for me. I don't care. Well, I think the eighties yeah. as a decade because the seventies were so strong. Like we said in our in our previous. Um, the Desert strongest Island. of all eras. Yeah, our previous Desert Island Riffs episode on the 70s, we actually said that we'd probably return to the 70s at some point just because there's so much to, to cover there. Mm. But it was such a it was such a raw time, that, that kind of culmination of everything coming together where the technology was just where it needed to be to not impede the product, uh, you know, the, the output of music, or not impede the creativity, maybe I should say. And, and then you just had all of those bands coming together and as the 80s started, I think what you see is as the decade moves on, more and more of that uh, technology and that overproduction and that kind of slightly, shall we say, cheesy element to it came in. Mm. And uh, I think that, you know, that really culminated at the, we'll get on to the 90s, but probably what one good thing to come from it was the start of the the kickback. So the grunge era and everything that just basically fought back of every fought back against everything the 80s had become by that point mm. but that's not to say that certainly in the first half of the 80s you've still got that that amazing sort of 70s um rootsy more organic vibe to things yes. i think well, one of my favorite things was the transition from white snake um from being like a a bluesy rock type band mm. into the big yeah. 80s big hair band that they were Right, I I I sort of love that transition. I've got a few of those albums, like from Bernie Marston to Steve Vai. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The, that, that, that yeah. I, well, I'm Coverdale always spoke of Whitesnake as being like a, a show, um, mm. and he didn't. He wanted performers more, and obviously big name guitar players coming into the band. And mm. there's just a constant evolution with them, isn't there? I think. And but yeah, that transition from Bernie Marsden to like oh, out to a Steve Vai is insane. Like yeah. a totally different band, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally different, yet completely the same. Yeah, isn't it? You you know you know the early White Snake. You know his White Snake, and you know sort of slip of the tongue, and here I go again. You know that's White Snake as well, and even the the latest stuff they did. You know when they had Doug Aldridge on guitar. Every uh, yeah, I mean Coverdale's Ace. 
Coverdale for president. Yes, I did say. <laughs> right, go on then. I guess that's enough context. So let's let's delve into it. Who wants to go first and give your your nomination and who you're going to talk about um, specifically? I'll I'll go first. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm genuinely worried. I this think show we need is, to this stop show is playing. Gonna... We need to stop playing that, otherwise we might be in line for some sort of copyright strike. <laughs> Lucas will be on the phone wanting royalties if you keep doing that. Honestly, the way we play it, we won't be getting done by copyright or anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it could copyright the intro. I mean, um, so I'm going to start at the back end of the '80s, 1987. Okay. Ooh, okay. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it, and you can tell me if uh, if you know what it is. Right. This is one of my favorite guitar solos of the '80s. Every time I listen to it, um, I'm just yeah, it's just got it's got everything for me. It's got the song, the vocals, and especially the guitar solo. So simple, great tone. Cool. I've tried to get as close to the record as I can. I'm gonna um, guess just from the year. I think I might know what it is. But okay, I'll keep, I'll keep you doing for now. <laughs> We can build this dream together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the song is nothing's um, going to stop us now. Going to stop us now by Starship uh, from 1987 off the album No Protection. Amazing. Uh, the Amazing. guitarist is a chap called uh, Craig. Craig. Uh, I had trouble pronouncing this. Craig Chiquico. His name is. Um, and obviously on vocals, Mickey Thomas and Grace Slick. Uh, amazing vocalists. Mickey Thomas, one of my favorite um, male vocalists. Literally sings in like a female range, and uh, yeah, it's quite a tough song to cover. Um, this song, in fact, was the second best-selling song of uh, 1987, actually, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but obviously, uh, I think we've mentioned this before, Lee. Like with Back to the Future and stuff, like mm. uh, I associate a lot of 80s tunes with with films that I've watched. I was so, going to um, say, I was going to say, make that point and say, like, what a great decade just for films for anyone of our sort of generation. It doesn't get better than those. It's the oh, just real quick as well. That really What's your favourite film from yep. the eighties? Then you can just pick Back one. Back to the Future. Oh, you bet. Back to the Future. Done. Back to the Future Done. too. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. only for well, the, the film itself, but for for the musical references and for the impact it had on course. me as a as yeah. Yeah. It, it literally inspired me just as just as much as some of those records that we're discussing. Mm. Um, I, I, all credit to Michael J. Fox. Just yeah. Stella, yep. Stella. I think yeah, I think absolutely. the guitar community as a whole, you know, should thank him more often because I. Yeah, you, it's yeah. one of those references that you hear so much. There's so many people that I've met along the way. That's like, what made you pick up a guitar? It's like, well, the uh, mm. the under the sea dance <laughs> when he when he comes on and plays Johnny Be Good. That's that was it. That was Genesis. That's your brother, Marvin. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but I think that's probably why you've gone the second film, Phil, because. In the second film, that's when you get all the references from the first one, and you notice how they all tie into each other, and oh, it's absolutely brilliant. Genius. So good. The third one's just uh, but great because I always wanted to be a cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do a yeah, separate just podcast on just on why Back to the Future is so good. Yeah, it'd we be really sharp. Absolutely, because it is. Thank yeah. you. Good night. Go and watch it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
so this Starship, Starship song uh, featured in Mannequin, uh, which is a big film of the 80s. It did, yeah, that's uh, right. It's a great film. Yeah, it's a really cool film, actually. Uh, I just, yeah, I love 80s films. Me and my wife, Amy, we've been going through um, watching a lot of 80s films at the moment, just kind of reeling them off. We had Dirty Dancing on last week, and uh, mm. yeah, so good. But it's the soundtracks, I think, that kind of grabs me towards those films more than anything. It's the songs. And Do you know another one? I've got a guilty pleasure, Chris. Go on. Right, you'll know this. Another Starship song. Yeah. So this this <laughs> this band obviously they started off as Jefferson Starship, obviously, and there was like a lawsuit and everything and um eventually became Starship. Um but a bit like Fleetwood Mac, you know, they started off with a completely different sound and then I, d- I don't know if it's a commercial thing that kind of intervened and but obviously band members change and then suddenly they become very commercial, the songs become a lot more poppy. Um and almost in that category of selling out almost. But I don't know. I I listen to this song and I'm just like, man, it's so good. And, I've, and I love the latest Fleetwood Mac stuff as opposed to, you know, the Peter Green era. So, you know. This um, wasn't what I was thinking when you said the year. And it's nice to know that you did go headfirst straight into the cheesy end of things there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm all about the cheese. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Chris. If you've got a choice, Pet Shop Boys or that, I mean, which are you going to go with? Of course, it's uh, a no-brainer. Talking of cheese and films from (laughs) the 80s, what about... Ah, Footloose, yeah. yeah. I love it. I love that tune. It's a good song. See, the great... great, I mean, I don't know why they bothered with synthesizers because there was just so many great guitar hooks from the 80s, weren't there? Amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's jam packed. It's jam packed. But there there are some bands that it worked for. Like I said, I think it kind of either made or broke some of those classic 70s bands, they even managed to make the change and jump mm. into the MTV era. And, yeah. I mean, look at, look at like, um, Aerosmith. Oh, like, yeah. obviously, they were a big band, mm. but the collaboration with Run DMC and the whole music yep. video and everything that came with it, look at, look at how it managed to... Not that it made them, but I think it managed to bridge the gap and keep them relevant and keep yeah. them moving forward. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. I love that song. I love both versions. Yeah. It just, yeah. it just, and I mean, this isn't my choice for today, but one of my favorite bands and favorite guitar players, Billy Gibbons, ZZ Top, they were, they were like the poster boys for, for MTV. You know, mm. think of music videos like Legs and, um, you know, they really took to that. And, and at the time, they were one of those bands. They're so, sort of a band of two halves, a bit like Fleetwood Mac. You've got the sort of pre-MTV era, which is that Texas boogie-woogie blues. Almost sounds like a different band. And then they either had to roll with the times and adapt or probably fade away and just remain as a band from the 70s. Uh, but look at how that album Eliminator and the music videos that came with it managed to suddenly introduce yeah. them to a global audience instead of just like a kind of blues rock audience. Uh, and that was it, you know, th- still going today. Probably yeah, because so much of that era. That band. Yeah, I love the song, uh, is it I Need Your Love Tonight. Is that is that one? Um, I think that's the title of the song. And it's a real kind of slow ballady sort of number. Some great guitar tones on that. Tons of delay and it's so 80s. It's soaked in 80s, that song. Well, that album, um, Eliminator, is just... The genius of Billy there, not enough people realise that it was essentially just Billy and the producer. I don't think 
uh, Dusty and Frank actually played on that at all. It was it was like a, a studio project to sort of see if they could delve into the eighties and see if it, see if it would work. Blending that that bluesy guitar stuff with synthesizers, drum machines, and it gave us "Give Me All Your Loving," "Sharp Dressed Man," "Legs," "Rough Boy." Like you know. It's the sort of music you associate with, like American bars and, you know, sort of thing. A bit like, yeah. you know, with Jeff Healy and stuff. It's that kind of 12-bar rock and roll blues, but with, you know, heavy heavy guitar tones and yeah. a bit of delay and, you know. And, and they were yeah, in Back to the Future 3, so there you go. <laughs> you know that? <laughs> Please tell me I you know, know that. that. The, the, I didn't when, know that. Were they cowboys? What? The they, soundtrack they to Back to the Future 3? Uh, <laughs> Double I back, thought I released. thought you meant I honestly I thought you meant that they were in the film. I'm gonna say they, they are like in it. cameo they are as in cowboys. It. Yeah, they, they are. are in it. They are in it. They're the they're the three guys that come forward and they, they actually play like a sort of country and western cowboy version of that tune. And uh they come forward and they've got their like mariachi guitars that spin, don't they? In the third oh film. Oh my god, I need to That's watch it. I'm gonna have to watch really it again. Need to watch this again. That yeah. film has got so many layers to it, it's insane. There you, go. Oh, you know what we need to be doing then when we're on tour? Yes. Watching, watching Back to the Future, and and anybody who doesn't pay attention gets sent out. Mm. Yeah, homework. Al's usually I'll watching something one, else, though. Yeah. So, good luck <laughs> with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. He does. Uh, he does love kids TV. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Guitar Heroes podcast. What? You've got, you've got a step ladder behind you. Uh, that no, it's actually a shelf unit that is waiting to be deployed somewhere suitable. Oh. At the moment, I'm still battling with trying to decorate this wall. I'm in the process of learning that. Do you know what? I'm not a painter and decorator. Uh, you should get Jay round. She's done all I have. Is she good? She's amazing. Well, what I can I can paint. I can paint the wall, but what I've realised when I've been doing some touch-ups, I did a load of touch-ups and then realised that I've got the wrong colour paint. So. Ah. Yeah, that was where I went wrong. There, I thought it just looked dark because it was wet, and then it dried and it went a different colour. Yeah, it's oh. a bit of an issue. Yeah. So there we go. I'll probably leave this bit in the podcast. I'm sure yeah. people. Yeah, well, no <laughs> people <laughs> be interested in that. Right, back to the eighties. Where were we? So back to the eighties. Chris, nice one. Like I said, straight in at the cheesy end of things. Yeah. Yes. Love yeah. it. You know me. Um, shall I uh, shall I bring us back into the um, land of guitars? Go for it. Okay. So. Ready? I'm talking about Dire Straits. Okay. Hey. You on about MTV? MTV. Uh, Money for Nothing was the first song on MTV. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and who would have thought Dire Straits just being basically a band? You wouldn't think anything, you know, flash about them. And they were, uh, yeah, they were like pioneers of the music video, weren't they? With their Money for Nothing video. I don't know if you remember it, that cartoony type video. Check it out if you don't remember it. I think I do. I'm going to have yeah, to go and watch that, I think. Obviously, yep, I know and the uh, reference to it in the song, but I didn't know it was the first video on there. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. Um, I guess that's argu- that, ar- arguably, but how does that work then? Because they must have, they must have. Did they go 
back and add in the line about MTV? Because when they'd written the song, MTV might not have existed. Um, I think, um, yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure about that, but apparently Mark Knopfler wrote the song by listening to, um, it was in America, and mm. uh, he was in a like an appliance store. And yeah. um, like it was like, I think he described it as like a meathead that worked in there. He was going, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, oh, look at them yo-yos. Oh, you know, and he was quoting all these lines. You know, oh, that ain't working. That's the way you do it. You know, he was quoting Mark Knopfler's behind this guy. You know, behind the microwave, writing all these lines down, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of. Uh, but yeah, you're right about the MTV. What came first, the chicken or the horse? Chicken or the egg? Yeah. Oh, the egg. Yeah. Or the horse? <laughs> <laughs> I got mixed up. Then cat or horse or chicken or egg? Oh, it's yeah. funny anyway. that you've mentioned. Funny that you've mentioned Dire Straits and. A resonator guitar on the same episode there, Phil. Well, there you go. Um, well, Mark Knopfler, um, he used a resonator guitar, didn't he, on Romeo and Juliet? He did indeed. He did. So he, he did said, indeed. did anybody else use one? And he used one on Telegraph Road as well at the beginning. Um, but one of my favourite, favourite albums, and probably if I was to just keep one album out of my whole collection, it would be um, Dire Straits Live in 1983, The Alchemy. Um, the alchemy gig and they put it on sky arts quite regular as well um it's brilliant brilliant concert and and they kind of did um pretty much went from 83 uh, through to uh, probably 1986 i think it was in um australia they finished the tour off but it was that that era of dire straits for me was just probably one of the best eras for for well for not just that band but musically for me um Big big fan of that stuff, you know. He did um, obviously Sultans was was we talked about Sultans, didn't we, in the seventies? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that, but um, he he, I don't know. I think he just he he saved the set the eighties for me. Like I say, with all the I mean, you had all your rock stuff and what have you. But I've never been a, a metal heavy rock type player anyway. And with mm. all the like I say, nonsense of synthesizers, Die Straits saved the eighties for me. Um, and also guitar guitar sound as well. He had one of my favourite guitar sounds ever. It, I always think it's one of the most stratty sounds that he never played on a strat with. <laughs> you know, he played the Schecters, didn't he? Mm. Um, you mentioned mm. Schecters yeah, yeah. early on, but he had the uh, Schecter Dream Machines, um, like the Super Strats. And uh, that that when I think of a strat sound, I think of Knopfler, you know, yeah. in the mid eighties. Um, and obviously. You know, it, "Money for Nothing" was one of the one of the biggest songs from the eighties, wasn't it? It's mm. and "Walk of Life." I mean, love it or hate it, you know, "Walk of Life." That that was another one that was a big they music got the synthesizer video on MTV. in there. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it's, I, I beg to differ. It's a Hammond. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, my my big nominations: Die Straits. I'm a Die Straits fan anyway, but the the '80s era of Die Straits is um, is kind of where it's at for me. I mean, Mark Knopfler went on to do. Um, it was early '90s. He uh, they were called Die Straits, but I think he just he had like a keyboard player. He had John Ilsley, the bass player, um, and there was Mark Knopfler. And then he he incorporated pedal steel um, yeah. and percussion, and it kind of. Obviously, I'm a big Die Straits fan, so I won't hear anything bad about it. But um, he, it, that wasn't my era. I, I much preferred the '80s era, and uh, right. and really, really quite regular listening to Die Straits, especially when I'm uh, when I'm walking the pooch. Mm. I, I always put that album on. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm not. I'm not one for my routines, as you know, Lee. You know. No, of no, course uh, not. Usually, <laughs> of course I, I not. Put, usually put that album on, and um, yeah, and Tunnel of Love. I think it's oh, um, great. For some artists going into the '80s, I think a lot of players came into their own. I think, like for me, I love Eric Clapton <coughs> in the '80s. I think he's. Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, like the songs like um, <laughs> I don't even know how to play, but. <laughs> Forever Man, songs like that. Mm, yeah. You yeah. know, uh, man, they're just, they're just so good. But like, you know, um, yeah. Uh, Only because he do it with Tina Turner, like didn't he, on the Tearing Us Apart? Do you remember that one? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that, actually. No, I, haven't, I don't think I've heard yeah, that Yeah, love is tearing us apart. Yeah. Well, you got the um, whole, the, the Journeyman record. That was 80s, wasn't it? That, that it was. And, it and was, that, yeah. like, um, uh, pretending and bad love. Like, like I think Gosh, he, yes. a bit like Knopfler, they're they're these they are guitar gods mm. but they mm. and they did different things in different eras but you're right like Knopfler had a great thing going he managed to use the 80s to his to his advantage and i think clapton's sound he had so many sounds he had like the early the cream stuff uh, and the blues breaker era and he had his Derek and the dominoes in the 70s mm. but then that that solo era 80s clapton and just into that i know we, we're all fans of the the royal albert hall is it 1991 that yeah, the, that is it called the Twenty One Night uh, was something nights it was called, wasn't it? Yeah, and he's yeah. still really just rocking the eighties era Clapton sounds, Clapton eighties uh, rig, and it uh, it's just a great, great. To be tones. honest, in um in in the guitar show, I actually base my Clapton sound on eighties Clapton because that's oh, what okay. I preferred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. it. Like when we do uh, we do Bad Love, he had quite a heavy chorus, you know, s- quite a saturated yeah. sound on it, um, and Layla. Uh, in fact, one of my favourite was it. Um, I think it's either eighty six or eighty seven um, when he did a gig with Phil Collins. Um, yeah, Phil Collins, Nathan East, Greg Fillingaines. Oh, one of my favourite concerts. That's great. And it's just just a four piece band and Clapton with like four four by twelves behind him, and that guitar is rocking. It sounds fantastic. Mm. Yeah, 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 really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Love it. I'm going to go watch <laughs> that now. See you later, guys. <laughs> Talking yeah. of videos yeah. on, on uh, in YouTube, watching stuff, this morning I stumbled across, uh, I think it's from 2014, it was like a Beatles sort of commemorative gig, um, sort of paying tribute to classic Beatles tunes. Ringo and Paul are there, and they get up at the end of the night and play a few numbers as well. But every it's like it looks like one of these fancy american award shows where like the grammys or something where the audience is just filled with like tom hanks in the front row singing you got movie stars rock stars joe walsh is giving it some in the front row it's amazing but you should check it out because the band is killer the band is like kenny aronoff on drums you've got the guitar the guitar players for the whole night other than a few tunes is um luke and mm. uh peter frampton Right. They're like backing up, so you get different artists coming out and maybe maybe doing vocals, but those guys are backing it up. You Dave Grohl gets up at one point and plays wow. drums. You got Gary Clark Jr. coming out. You've got uh, Jeff Lynne from ELO. It's it is amazing, and and every now and again, like Ringo, will just get up and play drums for a number, and at the end of the night, it's just Paul and Ringo. It's it's awesome. I I forgot to send it to you guys today, but I should mention it now on the mm. podcast for listeners who ha- maybe haven't seen it it's mm. uh it's a it's a killer killer show oh yeah 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 send the link definitely but not in any way related to the 80s so phil any more to say on that 
Well, I, I don't think there's anything else to say. We should just wrap the podcast up. That's it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How very dare you? How very dare you? <laughs> okay, so I was, uh, I was, I was torn which way to go. Uh, um, there's so much '80s guitar stuff. Honorable mentions for me would be ZZ Top mm. with Eliminator, and uh, have to say ACDC Back in Black, 1980. Mm. For me, growing up, like I. Angus was probably like one of the biggest influences. He was the first like rock guitar player. Once I got past the kind of punk rock uh, stage, Angus was like the first lead guitar player that I really got into. And so that Back in Black album is amazing. I think it's still, is it like one of the best selling albums of all time? I think Back in Black is up there with Eagle's Greatest Hits and Thriller, I think. Uh, and obviously the first album with Brian Johnson on, just incredible guitar tones all over it. And I couldn't not mention, and this is what I thought you were going to say, Chris, 1987, yeah. Appetite for Destruction. I was going to go, I was going to learn um, oh, cra- uh, Night Train. Night Train. It is my favourite Guns N' Roses song. And um, yeah, I oh, feel you were playing me a, a version that you did with, with Jay years ago. Yeah. Well, that sounded absolutely brilliant. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that was actually one of my favorite songs in the set, Night Train. Yeah, I used to love it's like that. It's such song. a good song, and like the solo in that is just, um, you know, Slash knows what he's doing in a solo like that. He's like mm. tone, he's all over it. Even if he doesn't know what he's doing, he's one of those players that's just so intuitive, isn't he? It's good. Yeah, he's got such a cool, you know, a cool appearance that he can't <laughs> be like, oh yeah, I know all my theories. Like, nah, you know, I just go with the flow, well, man. Well, you know? the thing, the <laughs> thing with that band and that album. I mean, firstly, what a debut album. I mean, it, it's almost like a greatest hits when you look at it now. Yeah. Paradise City, Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle, Night Train. It's, it's incredible. It yeah. is, it's amazing. So but they were a band. They managed to bring that essence of the 70s, I think. They're, they're an 80s band in, the, in that sense, their first album, 1987. But they're not 80s in the sense that it was overproduced. It's not, it's not Def Leppard. It's not something that's like super... St- they had a mm. rawness to mm. them and a groove to them mm. that I think is more characteristic of those... 70s bands that we've discussed before yeah that kind of rough and ready i mean i think there's a some sort of rumor that i've seen online that didn't slash bring the sweet child of mine riff to a rehearsal and it was like a warm-up exercise that he was just joking around with and they just started grooving it and pretty soon 10 15 minutes later they basically had sweet child of mine done oh wow there's that kind of a band as opposed to the sit in the studio and that's multi-track 115 Mm. tracks of you know but anyway, mm. my nomination couldn't be anything but this. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've pulled my headphones out in disbelief. That's such a great version of the Pet Shop Boys, mate. That's uh <laughs> it's uh it's uh it's a telecaster. <laughs> okay, I I will keep this as brief as I can because I could do I could do an entire series about Stevie and my love for Stevie and 
everything that's come since. Uh, but the reason I've nominated him today is... Anyone listening? Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan, of course. There might be some people the who don't know who he is. Um, because he's an 80s guitar player. And I think mm. people forget that. Because he's a yeah. blues guy, his character and his charisma and his records, his music, doesn't, doesn't shout 80s to me. But Texas Flood, the album from which Pride and Joy, which I just played, was from, was their first album. So I'm talking about the great Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, which is the three-piece of Stevie, Chris Layton, and Tommy Shannon. Pride and Joy and Texas Flood was their first release, 1983. Mm. And Stevie tragically died in 1990. So his mainstream career and everything that we pick apart now and has influenced decades of uh, copycats and, and everybody just you know going over it with a fine tooth comb happened really in a seven-year period within the 80s. Mm. But despite his status as a guitar hero and a guitar god, he doesn't scream 80s to me. When, when you say 80s, I no. think of some of the players that we've mentioned already. I don't... He's almost like he's from another time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think yeah, that's he the has case with a lot of blues players. I mean, blues players, to me, don't have an era. They're, they're just... They're, just, uh, they're kind of just always there. You know, B.B. I mean, King, when would you say B.B. King was... What's his era? I it's, suppose. But, but that's a bit you know? different because B.B.'s career literally did span decades. You've got mm. 50s BB, you've got 70s yeah. BB, you've got 90s BB. Well, obviously, coming from a different time, whereas Stevie Ray, obviously, you know, releasing that in the 80s, he's surrounded by, and it could possibly be influenced by all these other bands around him, but obviously he's just, he knows what he knows, and that's what he just goes out with. It keeps his integrity of what mm. he likes to play and doesn't get influenced about, you know, what's around him but in, in terms of the way music's moving or anything in terms of in terms of everything that happened in the 80s and all of the amazing guitar equipment and amazing guitar tones and everything like that there's no one that seems to encapsulate that kind of that legend that Stevie has and and he was an 80s guy but what he was pushing was so much more organic than everything else around him at the time his his guitar sounds were very simplistic and the production of the records was very, very simplistic, virtually to the point where it they were live albums, essentially. <coughs> uh, but yet, his 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 legacy is still with us today in the yeah. deepest, darkest corners of all the tone hunting forums. You can't avoid Stevie's legacy and everybody chasing what he did. When you talk about string gauges, like we were doing the other day, he changed everything. Always comes, it comes, <laughs> always comes. Yeah, obviously, it came from like people using a, ni- a nine gauge strings, and then Stevie comes out and is like. Come on, guys! Yeah. Like uh, you call that a knife? <laughs> so he's playing. He's like, yeah, yeah no, he's exactly. like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But he also he had the respect and he had the he, he had the industry looking at him as well. So in amongst all of these amazing shredtastic virtuoso players, they were all kind of looking and going, mm. "That guy from Texas, he he's the he's the real deal." Yeah, like, and also he. Tons of instrumental songs. Like as I remember listening as a kid, listening to um, Riviera Paradise. It's quite a jazzy one for Mr. SRV. You know okay. the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. 
And also he did um uh he did obviously a cover of Little Wing as well, and that was totally instrumental as well. Talking of instrumental, um, I have to point this out, it made me laugh. So when I was just doing a bit of research earlier, there was an article online and I won't mention the website because they don't frankly they don't deserve the advertising, even if it's to our ten listeners. <laughs> they they quoted among the many admirable tracks on Stevie's first release was his instrumental track, Lemmy. <laughs> <laughs> Lemmy. There we go. So I've got a bit of information about uh, about Pride and Joy and about Texas Flood, which I think just enhances what I'm trying to say, that he, he was an artist stuck in the 80s, but really from a different time. The album was recorded in total in three days. Um, one of which was a setup and kind of a get sounds day. So really, the tracks were laid down in two days. It was recorded in 1982, and at that point, they were unsigned. The reason they were recording the album was because they had previously played at the Montreux Jazz Festival. They were the first unsigned band to ever play at that festival, and they caught the attention of Jackson Brown, who really liked what they were doing and said, I've got a personal studio in L.A., I'd love for you guys to just come down and make use of it. Have you got some time? And I think it was Thanksgiving weekend of 1982 that they went down and used the studio uh, for free. And basically there's there's quotes of them saying it was just a big empty warehouse type place. And they set up in the corner, the three of them, just looking at each other and recorded all of the tracks live. It was, mm. it was really, they were there to do scratch tracks and demos. They were so unprepared that Stevie was borrowing gear from the studio. The Dumbleland special amp that he used on that record was borrowed from Jackson Brown. And they actually, they used old tape. They didn't even bother using fresh tape. They just used what was lying around in the studio and recorded over some stuff that Jackson had been doing. And it wasn't until after that that their career continued to go upwards and they eventually got a record deal, something like, I think it was only four or five months later, the record label went back to that album and uh, and kind of remastered it. And I think they just redid one vocal and put it out. And that was the release. <laughs> and obviously the rest is history. But the uh, the gear used on it for the gearheads, Stevie was using his Strat. He borrowed the Dumbleland special from Jackson. And at the time, Dumbles were really unknown. Nothing like the price they are today. And uh, so he used that because it was lying around in the studio with a 4x12, and he used Fender Vibraverb. I think he used two with 15-inch speakers and just two mics. They just mic two cones, one on the Dumble, one on the Fender, SM57. And like I say, tracked all together. If you listen to the isolated, uh, you know, the isolated drums or isolated guitar, you can hear loads of bleed on it because Stevie's amp was like so loud just in the room. And that, and that was it. It was no overdubbing just exactly as they've been doing in the uh, the Texan clubs for years. Mm. And obviously it went on to become what it's become. I think the only thing, as well as one overdub they did in post-production, this is when the record label got on board, was they added a, a Roland Dimension D for the gearheads. Stevie was using just his tube screamer as the only effect during tracking, but in production they added this Dimension D really to just add a little bit of width to the sound, but it does add a slight bit of kind of chorusy phasing on there. Mm. And that was it. So like as as un eighties as it gets, but yeah. incredibly influential. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and there's um, there's actually a program. Um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and mm. it's it's um story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's a really good watch. Is that I watched it um about a year ago. Hopefully it's still on there. But I think it, I think it was another one of those. His death was one of those fluke things that he wasn't supposed to be on that helicopter, but a space came available and he went and he got on it. And I, I've actually you know. heard that he took Clapton's seat. Yes, he did. W- I, I think that's that's the case, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy, yeah. crazily tragic and and such a loss. But that that eighties period, just everything that we know about Stevie happened in such a small amount of time. They went from just a club band that had been playing the Texan circuit for years and then eventually worked up to Montreux, which led them to this recording session and then the signing. And that was it. They, you know, they did the Austin city limits not long after Stevie got the call from David Bowie, literally before they'd put this album out, he got the call from Bowie who was interested in him coming to play on, um, let's dance. Let's dance. Yeah. And, uh, he went and did the, did the sessions and, uh, there's, interviews with Nile Rogers and like Carmine Rojas and the guys that played on that and they were like yeah this kid from Austin came in and blew our eardrums <laughs> out in the studio and we were like this is this is the second coming of Hendrix this is the real <laughs> deal and obviously things fell fell apart he never quite made the tour and n- I don't think it's um really common knowledge why whether Stevie just quit he didn't like the the pressure of the big tour and he preferred to do his... I mean, he didn't use set lists in his own band, so going on a Bowie tour was like a different world. But I think there was some finance involved or he just... He he didn't want to be Bowie's guitarist. He wanted to be, you know, do his own thing. And, that, and actually that act of him uh, stepping away from the tour right before they're about to embark on it actually got the media's attention and got the industry's attention even more so. They were like... We need to know who yeah. this guy is. Who's just turned down Bowie? Yeah, yeah, but I, so sp- I suppose go. he was. Um, I suppose he was kind of in his in his bubble, wasn't he? You know, I mean, he was. I mean, from what I can gather from Stevie Ray Vaughan, from well, from a lot of those type of players, you know, the the fame, the money thing, it's not. It don't really. They don't care about all that. You know, if anything, no, that gets in no. the way. You know, they've just got a talent for what they do, they love what they do, and that is what they do. And, you know, like Mark Knopfler as well, he, you know, he, um, the reason he packed in Dire Straits was because it just got too big. He didn't like it. You know, he was saying there's people, he said, you know, I'd walk into catering and I didn't recognise anybody. You know, and I'm like, and and I didn't like that. I didn't, you know, really didn't like that. Um, And that's why he, he, he sort of, called it a day and just did his own solo project. I heard that um Hendrix didn't didn't ever actually have any money. He had money and he <laughs> was worth money, but he he didn't like to have money. So he left it all in the hands of his management and his record companies and would just ask them whenever he needed something. Anything wow. paying for, they would just pick up the tab and he didn't like to be associated with the money or see it or have it do anything. I've got a uh, similar maybe situation. For the same reason. I've got a similar situation, but nobody picks the tab up after me. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's called being skint, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it won't be long now, and we'll be back to work, which will be Absolutely, lovely. yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was Another rehearsal to, um, this week, which was nice, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was on great. That, on that yeah. point. Yeah, and we went to the pub afterwards. <laughs> we may have ended yeah. up at the pub, which was which was nice too. But um, yeah, I was I was listening to um, I was listening to a podcast today, uh, and Mark King was on there, 
you know, and he was talking oh, yeah. about you know the touring, the pan of the tour every every couple of years, and 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 he was like, you know, he's, he was saying there's a lot of people that because everybody's got a year old, everybody's going oh they would take a year out, you know, we'll just look at it as a year off type thing, but everybody gets that little bit older, and uh, he said there's a lot of people that just won't be coming back, you know, that the, the, they've called it a day. and to be honest, I, I know I know people on our level that have called it a day. That are not going to be coming back, you know, and and you think, oh, I wonder, you know, will will the Stones never tour again? Will you know? Mm. You, you don't, you know. It's a really, it's a really weird thing to see what's going to happen. Who will be back? You know, who's going to tour? Who isn't? It's well, beyond the financial reasons as to why that might happen, obviously, some people would love to return, but maybe just can't. They've had to, they've had to take up other things, at least for the time being. Uh, you've also got the fact that we've had a forced break that. Probably not many of us have had. Certainly those guys that have been doing... I mean, no. you mentioned the Stones, but mm. when, do, when do those people get a forced break that sees them probably not do anything for the best part of a year or 18 months? Mm. There's going to be a lot of people in that camp that go, do you know what, I actually quite like this. And maybe go, yeah, not that fussed about going back. Doubles. A lot of people have had too much time to think, haven't they? It's quite yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I know, I know a few people that have kind of gone, you know what? Kind of like this life, <laughs> you know. When I do, yeah, they, when they I give do up, they back. give up gigging. You what, Chris? Sorry, they give up gigging. Obviously, forced, forced to give up gigging and get themselves a nine to five. You know, they start getting paid more than yeah, they were yeah. from gigging, I, and then yeah. they're home at a reasonable time for dinner, and they're like, "Well, this is this is pretty nice. I'll just become a weekend warrior." <laughs> as they say. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, not even, not even, not even people that um, that, that that gig. You know, people that have got a um, inverted commas normal job. You know, even they, a few people that I know, they've kind of gone, you know what, it wasn't worth the stress. It just wasn't worth the stress of what I used to do. You know, all the, you know, three, four hour round trip commutes and, and things like that. And, and not worth it. So it's going to be yeah. a, a very different world. And I would like to think a, a, a more chilled out world when we go back. So hopefully a lot of people will be thinking more like that. You know, the, is the rat race that important? <laughs> Hope so. Hope so. We've certainly all had a change of perspective, haven't we? Mm. I think yes, everyone I has. Think so. Whatever you've been through, we've had a change of perspective. Indeed, indeed. God, oh, we just got quite. Bit. We got quite deep at the end of an '80s podcast. Oh, we have. Let's bring it back. Wait, back in the. Yeah! Bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> I got one nomination. Obviously, we can probably just start reeling off some <laughs> names now. Um, but one of my favourite uh, guitar players of all time is Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to play this riff. You can probably tell me what it is. Big love. What that is. It is. From Tango in the Night, from, again, same year as my first nomination, 87. Mm. Same year, yeah. Good year. Oh, you watched the, um, I, I downloaded it off um, um, the Apple Tunes, whatever they call it these days. Um and it's a uh, Lindsey Buckingham solo. Um, I think I did it in New York or somewhere. That's an amazing concert. That that's one where I redeemed myself for acousticalness. Ah. <laughs> Going from someone who hates acoustic guitars, apparently, except <laughs> when Lindsey Buckingham plays them. <laughs> yeah, Either, I was watching a, a rig rundown of his. You know, the Premier Guitar. It's that um, tour. channel on YouTube. Yes, yeah, from that tour. Oh, is yeah. it? Oh man, those guitars are amazing, aren't they? Like he's got like. Um, it's like a. It looks like an acoustic body electric guitar. Turner. Uh, and he's got like. A, yeah. 
Yeah, and he's got like a humbucker, which is kind of angled. Yeah. Mm. Like it works on like a rotation. And obviously he just finds the sweet spot and then just leaves it there. Mm. I think that's that's a pretty cool innovation actually, isn't it? Very expensive. I, said, I thought, oh, you know what I'm like. I, oh, I like the look of that. How much? <laughs> he's got like 11 in a, in a flight case, hasn't he? <laughs> I know, I know. He's, he's got like a, you know, a nice detached house in a flight case. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's probably what the word. Yeah. Well, that's maybe something that we haven't mentioned. I mean, the 80s was, was not only er- the era for sort of flamboyance in music, but also music equipment i mean look, just look what happened to guitar rigs you know yeah. look at steve Vai. he ended up <laughs> with a heart-shaped guitar and like it, you know. w- it was like <laughs> the era that the studio left the studio and went on the road with most people didn't it it's i've, I've got to be honest i do love a nice rack well you've I, got a rack haven't I, you I, I, yeah um, i had um, a rack <laughs> I, I had um, I had guitar racks, not not the eighties, um, probably the nineties. Um, I had quite a big guitar rack then as well, you know, with the power amps and all that kind of malarkey and um, separate cabs and and then it just got ridiculous. Um, so I stopped all that stuff and then yeah, just recently I've gone back to rack again and it's like I, I don't know, it feels like going home. I love although the gear's all more modern yeah. now, but it's 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 something about a rack. I just love rack gear. It's um yeah, it's good. That's a good note to end the podcast on. We all like a nice rack. Bill's nice rack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think my pizza's about to arrive. Excellent, excellent. Oh dear. <laughs> well, hope you guys have well, all enjoyed that. It's, uh, I enjoy I enjoyed it. And I'm certainly gonna go watch a lot of eighties movies now. Yeah. 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 I need to go and watch Back to the Future number three. Look out for uh, look top. out for those big beards and uh Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, and uh, check Instagram because when we post this live, Phil, I understand you're going to be posing on Instagram in some eighty spandex for us. Uh, I might just. Or was I not supposed to say that? Uh, That's a different account. Is that one? (laughs) Oh, do the socials. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, to see pictures and videos of some stuff, please head to Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, you can find us. It's Phil Walker, guitarist. Lee Williams, guitarist, and Chris Anthony, guitar. On Instagram. It is Phil Walker Guitar, Chris Anthony Guitar, and Lee Troy Guitar. You can search for the Story Guitar Heroes on Instagram and Facebook or go to the website, www.storyguitarheroes.com. And, of course, there's the YouTube Phil Walker Guitarist where you can see lots of behind-the-scenes guitar demos and all sorts. There we go. Episode 24, I think. think. Is it? I'm losing track. Yeah, episode 24. We could play you out, if you like, a little bit of 80s rock guitar, shall we? Here we go. What are we playing? (laughs) The Guitar Heroes podcast will return in two weeks time as this time next week Lee will be enjoying a staycation in Wales.